No bad energy formed against me shall prosper. I'm the disease and the doctor. I'm the phantom of the opera. Infinite stamina and chakra. We gon' come handle you proper. Stickin' one hand, one land in the console. She gon' eat a Zan with a vodka. She ain't finna land till tomorrow. She gon' do what I say. Listen to the plan that she follows. Shit'll go smooth, no potholes. I'm the one that they gon' choose. You gon' be land with the fossils. They gon' say I'm guts when he slayin' the apostles. Full moon sand, real hostile. They be talkin' tough and I'm not so. They gon' think I'm playing. Till I turn a nigga chest to a DBZ plot hole DBZ plot hole Alright Hi everybody, welcome to Agitator Episode 53 We're past the first year We are in there like swimwear Today on the show we're talking about Battle Royale The 19... When the fuck did this happen? The 1999 manga 1999. with 2000 That's right. We're talking about the 1999 manga and the uh, 2000 film Battle Royale, written by, how you pronounce the name? Koshun? Koshun Takami? Yeah, Koshun. Koshun, Koshun. Takami. Uh, the manga illustrated by Masayuki Taguchi ran from 2000 to 05, began as a novel written in 96 by the same dude who wrote the manga was adapted into a wildly popular film by Kenji Fukasaku, the legend, his last film in 2000. And it's globally been one of the most influential and controversial works of art in this current era that we're living in. And to talk about this today, we have a very special guest, Dallas-based rapper, part of the the Crown crew, Kawasaki. How's it going? Hey. Hey, 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 what's up, man? Appreciate the introduction. Absolutely. We had to have you. You said you would battle royale your classmates to be on this episode. So <laughs> I actually what's funny. I actually um, went to Music City Mall. This is a local mall out here. I got a this dude makes custom anime pins and stuff like that. And he had a battle royale runner up pin. And I thought that was the funniest shit. <laughs> I had to buy it. <laughs> runner up. Don't want to be a battle royale runner up. It was better than the the battle royale first place pin. That's what's up. What? Uh, so you have? We've been talking in the DMs and everything. I've seen your like posts. Uh, I li- even listening to your music, you reference like Berserk and Dragon Ball Z, and like you've obviously got all this like anime influence. What's kind of your background with that stuff? What What is so? Uh, what went wrong? <laughs> what, yeah, what went wrong? Nah, yeah. So, like most fucked up stories, this kid at daycare, goddamn it, he had a, a shonen jump. He was an older kid. He was like nine, and I was like seven. So we're talking like real, real young, like developmentally young. And um, you know, I was in the, I was in the sports a little bit, like football, because my dad was real into football, played college ball and stuff like that, and he coached. So he wanted me into something real young. So like my family was all into that, and I was kind of looking for my own thing. And this kid had a shonen jump. And I was like, yo, I've seen this dude on the front because it's Goku. I was like, I've seen this dude on the front on TV, you know, when I'm not supposed to be watching TV. Like, it was something cool about it because it was, it was running later at night. And so I took that and I was looking at it and I was just, like, enthralled by the art and the, the fact that it wasn't, like, childlike in nature. Even though looking back, shonen is totally childlike in nature. But, like, back then it was like, oh, shit, he cut Frieza in half, you know? <laughs> right, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that just kind of snowballed and it, it became, I started getting real into art primarily because like it was something that the rest of my family really wasn't doing like that. 
uh, like a way to separate. And then it just started becoming like a tech, like I just became more of a fan in general, just finding out more, like being in those weird little pockets on the internet very early. And actually got introduced in the Battle Royale when I was like 12. It was stu- way too young to be reading anything like that. And I picked up the novel first and I wanted to actually check and see if the novel came, because I'm pretty sure the novel came out before the manga. It's one of those yeah, few things right. where the manga was an adaptation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, like I was reading this this fucking book and you know everybody else was trying to catch up on like Harry Potter and shit. I was trying to I was trying to tell my English teachers about it and I was getting it took away from me and having to get it back and stuff. <laughs> I kind of grew up with this book and the story and affected me on a very deep level. This is our kind of people, dude. Like, I'm so glad you're on the show because I can relate to how old are you? If you don't mind me asking. I'm 28, 28. Okay. So you're like, I'm 35. So same kind of age range. So when you were 12, this would have been relatively new and fresh. And I, when you said that you took it to your English teachers and tried to show them, I would do that all the time, but it, for me, it was uh, Chuck Palahniuk books. Like the guy wrote like Fight Club and shit. Yeah, I would show them this shit where it's people building bombs and punching each other in the face, and I would say, "This is what really interests me in reading." And they would say, "Yeah, but we're gonna, you know, read some YA classics like we're the Redfern Crows or something like that." And I was just like, "I love, I love to read," and you're making me not want to read. Yep, one hundred percent. And um actually didn't resonate with a teacher until uh, probably until like my senior year. It's funny because he still has my original copy because I gave it to him and he read it and he wanted to keep it and show it. And then like, you know, in the midst of being 18 and graduating and trying to go play college sports, I forgot to get it back, but he still has it. And um, yeah, no, so most of my teachers just like outright rejected it because of the premise and didn't even open up, like which kind of went against everything they were teaching. Right. I guess on the one hand, I guess a teacher, if, let's say you're a 65-year-old woman and you're teaching a class of kids and a kid comes up and says, hey, this is my favorite book. And it's about a class of kids who kill themselves or kill each other, rather. You might be like, oh, fuck. I don't know. I don't know if this is something. But, but, but your point is, is well taken that it's actually – Battle Royale is more the story about how adults fucked everything up and the kids are left to kind of pick up the pieces. And I think that might be what resonated, right? Yeah. And honestly, as I get older and mature into adulthood myself, I see where the adults of the previous generation fucked up. And now like the kids are, if you want to take Chicago, for example, like I'm in the rap scene. So I see all these kids shooting the fuck out of each other and they are doing heinous shit at ages that are incomprehensible to what regular society would even fucking think of, you know what I mean? Like 14 and 13 year olds jumping off the porch, can't even hold the gun, but you know, they're breaking their wrist shooting it at what would be their friends if they were living in a normal society. It's like, well, they're permanently in a battle royale. It's like the fucking purge. Yeah, no, those ages are scary. You got to watch out around here. It's, uh, yeah, usually 13, 14 that be the quickest to draw shit. And that, that sucks (laughs) whenever it's, you know, uh, 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 kids running around like w- just with that that kind of mentality because you got to be kind of as an adult it's like well on a defensive side you know if you start tripping i gotta look at you like a grown-ass person because you're not i mean i'm not gonna get shot by nobody i don't care how old you are but damn like it's like that movie idiocracy like mike judge 
you know, they were asking him to make a idiocracy too. And he was like, I'm not interested in it because it, it's, a, it was supposed to be a comedy and now it's a documentary. Yeah. No, I, that's, that's exactly the thread that I wanted to pick up on because you said something really interesting there, which is that kids are kind of living in battle Royale right now. And this is the line between satire and reality that becomes very thin. When you watch this movie, it seems it's played as satire. It's like a Paul Verhoeven style satire where these kids are randomly selected because Japan has passed something called the BR Act because, you know, kids are acting out and being crazy. So I guess once a year they get a certain class to get dropped off on an island where they all are tasked with killing each other until one person remains. And um, we can get into the details of how that all plays out, but on the broad picture, it's played as satire. You know, when they're watching that video and the, the woman is, you know, doing the kawaii, very enthusiastic speech about how they're going to essentially kill each other. It's like, okay, this is like a comedy. Yeah, dude, she's amazing. (laughs) She's great, right? Like, yeah, she's, yeah, besides Takeshi Kitano, she's probably the best actor in the whole movie. But yeah, then you start thinking, how far is this from reality? I mean, it's in the context of a film or a manga or whatever. So it's it's got all the trappings of those things. But then you think about it, it's like, well, in a sense, don't we kind of sacrifice one classroom a year where we're at right now? I mean, if we if we could contain it, to a controlled program where say if we could do this if we could do the battle royale program it would eliminate what i'm talking about in the streets i think we would choose to do that versus what's actually going on yeah what do you think <laughs> which is like a major free-for-all of like yeah i don't i mean i'm not for state sanctioned sacrifices you know but like a common thread that we have been talking about over the past, I don't know, dozen or so episodes has been some sort of necessary sacrifice in the era that we're in because we come from, you know, we're a violent species ancestrally and we're at a point where there's not a lot of outlet for or, or necessity for that violence. And so you have like on a global scale, people's brains just malfunctioning and trying to figure out how to reconcile that. And I mean, it's an, it's an idea. I'm not on board with state sanctioned anything, but like, it's a, it's an idea, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it is definitely interesting. The like, yeah. Oh, in the past 22 years, the lines between satire and just where we're at have basically disappeared. It really is dissolved. The fabric is dissolving right now. The matrix is like the simulation is glitching out. Yeah, the simulation is glitching out. And it reminds me of a French philosopher named René Girard, who wrote a book called Violence and the Sacred. And his key idea was about the scapegoat and how uh, society, when it has a free-floating anxiety about things, it needs somebody to sacrifice when you look at Northern European cultures, they would burn people in a wicker man. Uh, You know, people in South America, like the Aztec people would literally cut people's hearts out on top of a pyramid to sacrifice to the God, like the bloodthirsty gods. What's this book called? Violence in the Sacred by René Girard. Um, 
But his his idea in that book is that when you have a breakdown in ritual, you end up with this kind of, again, free-floating, violent tendency in society that has to have a release somewhere. So in society's past, they would sacrifice people. But in our society today, we have football or MMA or what have you. But the idea might be that that that's not quite bloody enough. And I think that's interesting, dude. It's like, you know, where, where does where does the violence go when everything is sanitized? Well, I, I like that you mentioned the um, the scapegoat because that kind of mirrors the the like the idea of evil in Berserk, the people needing something. If I'm not mistaken, the idea of evil in Berserk, like the little you know what I'm talking about? The, I guess, God-like creature built out mm-hmm. of people's need. What, what is it? There? It's, it's their people's need to hate something or some, some shit like that. Yeah. The God yeah, hand is like a, yeah, it's like a, this, this force that you're talking about. Yeah, it kind of really mirrors that. And I think um, I think maybe it might not be the violence per se, but violence is, is part of it usually because it's, it's the struggle in general. Like the hero's journey starts, you know, it, you can't just be born with everything all right. And you can't just live through with everything just being all right the whole time. And then it's just, it's just cool. Like, that's just not how dudes work. Like, we have to go through something to be something, really. Absolutely. There's people yeah. in, uh, there's people in South America. Uh, there's a tribe down there. What they do is they take these ants and they're called bullet ants. Yeah. And bu- bullet, you know what I'm talking about. So the, um, the bullet ants have a sting that on the, the pain index is greater than a gunshot but they weave the bullet ants into gloves. And when a boy hits puberty, he has to put two gloves made out of bullet ants onto his hands and withstand the sting. And the reason why they do that is because women go through childbirth, which is incredibly painful, but men don't naturally go through that kind of pain unless they inflict it on themselves. But they believe that it's important for manhood to experience that kind of pain so we're talking about like all all the same kind of shit right as as the battle royale you know like if you had to go through maybe not necessarily a battle royale style thing but some kind of rite of passage we might not usually have people go ahead i was i was just gonna add to your point usually it's hunting for meat that's what it's been historically you're gonna fall down you're gonna break an ankle you're gonna get bit by something like usually that struggle comes from hunting for meat to bring back to the tribe or village. Even as uh, recently, like that's probably our most recent example because, you know, that is still a tradition that is carried on in more rural rural areas, you know, with men and their sons and everything. But like, it, it's not on as grand of a scale anymore as it was like maybe a hundred years ago, maybe even 60 years ago, you know, the oh, yeah. the level of culture-wide or or globe-wide rite of passage maybe i shouldn't say globe because like you say you know there's different tribes and shit down in different countries but like at least in america for sure there's not this big rite of passage that's acknowledged or you know practiced in the culture and that's where we get these like spiritual attempts like it's like the evil slipping through because there's no sacrifice given up to it so it's going to come out and create mm-hmm. its own rituals in the forms of like mass shootings and shit 100 uh, it's the it's the age-old 
uh, good times create weak men, you know, mm-hmm. all that, that their circle. So this makes me think then uh, you guys and me, we all seem pretty normal. I don't feel like we're going to shoot up anything. So did you guys have events that were akin to these, like the bullet ants or the battle Royale or whatever, like things that shaped you so that you had an outlet for that. What, what made, this sounds like a really deep question for a Japanese movie podcast, but what made y'all become men? I've had, okay. So my father was a super strong influence in my life and I feel like that's, you know, where it's supposed to start, but you know, they, they, you know, they PC society and they're trying to phase the father out entirely. But, um, no, my dad was up my ass, bro. Like fucking football team. Okay, one story I had, dude. Um, light skinned dude, pretty eyes. Took my girlfriend eighth grade. Not my girlfriend, but this girl. I like. You know, we played this team in, in football. I was a free safety. He was a wide receiver, but he was clear on the other side of the field. Not even part of the play. I ran all the way across the field and I fucking blindsided him, knocked his helmet off. Stupid as fuck. Just angry. Just bullshit. Dude, my dad. My dad yells from the stands with this thunderous voice because by this time I'm in middle school, so I'm not playing for my dad's PB team no more. Yells from the stands with this thunderous voice because he's this fucking 6'4", 260-pound military dude. A hole right there. I'm coming down. Walks down, picks me up in front of everybody before the coach could get to me, before the ref could get to me, and starts yelling at me. Takes my helmet off in front of everybody. Starts fucking yelling at me. Picks me up on my shoulder pads and takes me out like a little-ass kid before anybody had to say anything to me. But in front of everybody, yeah, it was it was shit like that. It was thing, you know, it was being held accountable publicly, mm-hmm. loudly, and being expected to have that responsibility for myself whenever that man wasn't around because he would go uh, on, you know, to Afghanistan for seven months and shit. I had to act like a man, young, without him there. So he instilled it into me. Yeah, my uh, my dad was in Afghanistan, Bosnia, Afghanistan, Iraq, like all that. Yeah. Um, he wasn't quite as, I feel like that's just good parenting, personally. Uh, like my dad, he he got me into sports, but he was a bit more wishy-washy about it. Sometimes I wish that he had really kind of put his foot down. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Like looking back on it now, how do you feel about what your dad did? Well, he went. He went too far at first with the football thing, so I pushed myself to do basketball because he didn't do it. Yeah. So I was in that kind of mindset. And then by the time I was getting older, I kind of realized why he did it. And I watched him ease up. So I actually watched him learn from his mistakes, which can teach you a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I'm glad he did. I'm glad he did it because I see some people running around that didn't have that influence. And like they're fucking loose cannons, man. Like if I did that nowadays, if I did the same thing I did to that kid on the football field mm-hmm. nowadays, like I would be shot because some bullshit would happen. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And some people don't learn that lesson at 14. They learn it at 28. And then it's too late. Yeah, it's, it's bad for all parties involved. Kelby, do so, you have a story? I think, yeah, I think it does come down to the father thing for sure. And uh, having a general uh, struggle. I've always had some kind of struggle, whether like born into or self-inflicted. Like, you know, it's mm-hmm. necessary to have something to grind up against and like sharpen yourself and then you don't really when you're deep in a pursuit of something or to get out of something or fighting against something you don't really have time to be thinking about like 
fucking other people up so much unless it's in like defense you getting in my way or something but yeah i mean my dad did you know uh took me hunting as a small child um i saw him working worked with him a lot like doing manual labor shit and like seeing that things don't come from nowhere that you have to build things and that like and even the like absence of you like years where he was like very absent because he'd be off working out of state all this kind of shit like the pursuit of trying to impress him make him proud whatever or like even even retaliating rebelling having this feeling of like a, a a void of that father figure kind of like uh created a lot like a, a heavy thought process about uh the path to manhood basically like i like i i craved that rite of passage or whatever i guess dude and, and not to leave moms out because like the way that i saw my mom respect my father even whenever because even whenever like he was going through things and like shit wouldn't be perfect the way that she respected him i wanted my mom to know that she was raising a young man to be that for some other young woman. You know what I mean? Mm, Wow. That's great. No, go on with that. I love that. That's good. Because like my mom truly felt safe, truly 100%. There's not a day in her life. She hasn't felt safe in that house. And Mm -hmm. that's why they're going to be in that, that house forever. And like, I want, you know, I want my mom to know she didn't raise a little bitch ass nigga. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's fair, dude. That's fair. I love that. That's, I've never heard that before, but I think that that, so I'm a, I'm a new dad. My kid's 15 months. Uh, do you have any kids? Yes. I have a young and she's six. Okay. Right on, right on. So, so for me as a new dad, hearing the perspective that it's not just how you treat the kid, but the element of security that you bring to the mother, that's huge, man. That's a gem. It's uh, it's all goes into creating that little. It it you create a little pocket away from the universe that you know you can kind of control. And people would say that's a bad thing because that's controlling. And I would say that you would want to control the environment that you're trying to raise a family in. You'd want to control the environment you're trying to raise a plant in. You want shit. You want to control the environment you sit your PlayStation down there and make sure it don't overheat, like yep. et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. Um, That's brilliant. The battle royale ties back to it because when that little pocket isn't there, like it, like it needs to be, you know, that's when the kids act out because they need that attention, that, that love, that care, you know, maybe the love comes in the form of a foot up and ass like red Foreman. Dude. No, that's, that's a, that's a really good point. Cause what happens in battle royale, the, our, our protagonist's mother leaves. Mm -hmm. He's got a deadbeat dad who literally, they have this great, yeah, literally. They have this great flashback where the dad and him are in a restaurant, and uh, the dad freaks out on a waiter. But he he gives Dude, off yeah, this that's... impression of not being a like a he's he's not a man, you know. And he ends up hanging himself and leaving this weird toilet paper roll. I don't know what the fuck's going on, but it's like a toilet paper roll that just says "You can do it, Shuya," over and over again. Uh, not- it kind of makes sense to be on a toilet paper roll because they write vertically. Right. Exactly. It's, it's yeah. kind of hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like a, like a scroll. This is yeah. <laughs> my yeah. shitty ass scroll that I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. No, it, yeah, it does make sense. To I be on a toilet, toilet paper roll. brand. <laughs> 
I did for a toilet paper brand, Shitty Scrolls. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Shitty, yeah, that's funny. But yeah, no, so the dad literally leaves him and he's like in the movie, I didn't read the book and I haven't read the manga, so I don't know. But the idea, because it's a movie, he's got to have his boxers on. But the, was the idea that he was supposed to be jacking off when he killed himself? Is that what was going on? No, I, in the book, he was... um he was just, it wasn't sexual asphyxiation. What do they call that shit? Autoerotic <laughs> asphyxiation. Yeah. Y- y'all, y'all hit that shit right on beat. What yeah, the fuck? Yeah, that, yeah, that's how that's how I plan on going out. <laughs> like David Carradine, just straight up autoerotic asphyxiation. Yeah. Man, I like that Kill I like that I like that Kill Bill came out and then uh Bill was actually killed by putting on some high heels and beating off while he was choking himself. That was kind of funny to me. Actually, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think the the battle royale scene you referenced with the the dad and the waiter. I don't think that was in the original cut of the movie. The, the, um, I think that was added into the director's cut, or not added, but you know, like mm-hmm. not deleted. And I, whenever I saw the movie originally, it wasn't in it. But whenever I, I had, you know, I watched it a thousand times. It was a legal copy. I downloaded. Then I rebought. You know, I bought it up because I had money and shit. And I watched the theatric or the director's cut and I saw that scene and I felt like it made the movie so much like it made Shuya's relationship with his father more understandable because he was insecure about the finances to the point where like he was just going to give up. And it, I felt it, a lot it, of added, I felt a lot of disgust with the father, honestly. Yeah, and I felt like he was very loathsome. I like how it didn't make Shuya's character, though, negative. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he doesn't have like a chip on his shoulder. He's just always kind of been a kid who's had to to deal with his circumstances, and maybe that's why he does so well at the battle royale. Do you? Uh, either one of you can take this, but for listeners, I feel like if if anybody's listening to this and hasn't seen Battle Royale, uh, Kawasaki, can you explain the plot of Battle Royale to us? Okay, so basically, I think there's 42 kids. We're going to round off to 40. So mm-hmm. about a, a Japanese class of 40 kids, um, they get selected for a program that's supposed to cleanse the streets of the bullshit behavior that is getting put on the kids. Whenever it's the, whenever in reality it's the failures of the adults around. But anyway, one class gets selected, they get somehow transported. I'm not sure if but it's bus every time, but they get transported to a place where they have random weapons. And provisions given to them. Well, the provisions are aren't random, but the weapons are random. They're, and you know, they're given collars and told to kill each other in uh, three days, or everybody dies. And if you try to remove the collars, they explode. If you try to tamper, they explode. The collars have microphones, and they get briefed, packed out, and sent out basically. Mm. And uh, every every half day. A couple of zones on the map, because the map is cut into grid into a grid, a couple of zones on the map get basically turned into dead zones where you're not allowed to be at. And if you're caught in those zones for over 60 seconds, I think your collar explodes. Basically, Fortnite stole the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Fortnite <hungry guys. laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, and this this uh, originated the term battle royale for for what this actually means. I, I feel like WWF at the time, E now had battle royales but this um a question that i have about this movie because there is the give me one second give me give me yeah give me one second i don't want to lose this point while you mentioned that 
uh, they actually did have Battle Royale first, and so did New Japan, which I was I, like, because I've always thought about this. I think he took the name Battle Royale from New Japan Wrestling because wrestling has always used that term Battle Royale. Mm-hmm. And in Japan, obviously, wrestling is fucking huge, especially in the 90s. So I would venture to say it's probably from the wrestling term. Hell yeah. Oh, right on, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's good. Yeah, I didn't I didn't make that connection. Uh, so my my question about this whole movie is the character that Takeshi Kitano plays who Takeshi Kitano is one of the greats. He's, uh, you know, been in tons of Yakuza movies and he plays a former teacher who gets cut up by one of his students. One of his students, by the way, who gets offed, off rip at the beginning of the movie. Um, and then he comes back with the military to be the overseer of this game. And Kawasaki, I feel like since you've read the book, how does that connection i was confused the whole movie how he ended up as the director of this game there's no real direct explanation for it it's just it just kind of happens okay okay which i'm fine with by the way i don't i don't need a direct explanation i just wondered if yeah. if it was actually in there um so katano is uh you know there's a great opening scene where all the students are gathered together and they're being told what the rules are about everything. And I felt like, I felt like this movie works from both ends by the end of it. Obviously you hate the, the teachers, the, the adults you're, you're made to understand that they are the, the problem with everything. But I did like the pseudo classroom style of that opening scene where he's trying to show them a video and people keep talking and he's throwing knives and in the people's heads and, what was his name? Nobu. Is that yeah. the, yeah. No, Nobu is, he's the one who we get to see the, the, the collar demonstrated on it, it blows up. But I thought that was really interesting that we had this rambunctious class and it was almost like, you know, wish fulfillment. Like if you could just have That's, shock collars on everybody. <laughs> it's, it was like a, a teacher's, like a bad teacher's fucking dream, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Perverse like, dream. Oh, I could just, I could just fucking because when the shock collars explode, their heads don't come off, but their neck splits open. It's very ugly. Uh, and I think, thinking back, I think that's the only time we actually see the collars in effect. Um, but they're, but it's really brutal. So they, they, they call out everybody. They are tasked with grabbing a random bag, whatever shit they have on them, and then whatever bag they're given and the bags can be everything from, you know, Shuya is given a, a pot lid to fight with. Um, what's the name of the, the female? Uh, not, uh, Noriko. Noriko. Yeah. She's given uh, binoculars and then other people have submachine guns and hatchets and axes. And, uh, scythe. Uh, Mitsuko has the scythe, which she puts to good use. So, um, I'll stop there, but what what happens after that? Well, um, one thing I want to go into really, really, really fast before we start. There's actually yeah. one use of the collar that didn't get used in the in the movie, but in the book, uh, you know, Kazuo Kiriyama, the the uh, one of the guys who joins the game for fun. Mm-hmm. In the book, it kind of expounds on him a little bit, and he's supposed to be perfect, pretty much. 
because the car accident he got into dug a little piece out of his brain that had like emotional responses to things. So he's extremely calculated. Yeah, it it doesn't explain this in the movie, but he's a piano genius. He's a martial arts genius. He's perfect in studies. He doesn't emotionally react to everything like to anything. All the girls love him. He's beautiful. So cool. This and is so the, 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 the bad guy, right? The wild haired guy. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Bad guy. Yeah. Uh, That's so crazy. He has a secret admirer and it's, it's, it's a, it's a gay dude and he follows him around. You basically, the whole, the, <laughs> the whole battle, he's following him around and Kazuo realizes it earlier than suspected, obviously. And he mm-hmm. uh, goes into an outhouse, takes a piss, but he cuts a hole in a water bottle and hangs it above the toilet. And the area that he's in becomes a dead zone while the while the gay dude is in the bush waiting for him. Mm-hmm. And his collar explodes because oh, he's waiting shit. on Kazuo to get out of the outhouse. And Kazuo's long gone out of the dead zone, knowing that this uh, dude was following him because he had a crush on him. Wait, hold on. What does the water <laughs> bottle have to do with that? Uh, he makes it it's, seem like he's pissing, right? Yeah, oh, it makes the sound. Oh, got you, got you, got you. Okay. Yeah, sorry, guys. Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt. It, I, just didn't, I just didn't understand <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. That, that was the only uh, that was the only other instance of the collars actually exploding in the battle royale. That's fucking that's awesome. Yeah, because the the guy, the bad guy in this movie, the guy who he volunteered, right? He just volunteered yeah. to be there. Um, he's a great villain and you don't know shit about him in the movie. You don't find anything out. There's no personal details, no nothing. So he's just kind of this uh, Terminator figure who at one point acquires a bulletproof vest, but it kind of seems like he's bulletproof anyway. And yeah. he just, he just sprays, just sprays from his little submachine gun. He ends up acquiring by the end of the movie, dude, he's, he got the Katana bulletproof vest, the uh, grenade, yeah. the GPS tracker, uh, fucking Uzi. I'm pretty sure he had at least two pistols. Yeah, and he goes real wild with the Uzi. Fucking crazy. That felt like but, some real 90s shit. I feel like uh, every movie had like these, like especially crime movies, action movies, had like these inner city battles that took place with like the, the Uzi. I just remember being the most badass. And now knowing more about guns, it's like one of the shittiest weapons that there is. But like, <laughs> it just seemed like it was such a badass symbol growing up. You had the Uzi and it's like, oh, shit. And they, Man. this movie had that like kind of, you know, at the right at the 21st century, it, it was carrying that sort of like 90s street praise of the Uzi with it. My girlfriend mentioned this to me because I tried to put her through all the anime loops and she's loving it. But um, she mentioned to me that every time we watch an anime, it's it references American pop culture from roughly 10 years before it. And because she's all into American pop culture and stuff. And I, and I was thinking about it. Yeah, there's a it's a really, really astute observation because, like, you know, they get things later and they pick up on it later and it becomes cool over there literally later. And I think there's that's why that Uzi got put in like that, because like what Scarface did for the Uzi man in movie and cinema. Yeah, it was real. It's like what Call of Duty did for the P90. Right. Which is actually a badass gun, much more reliable than the Uzi. Uh, that's crazy, too. The like, diff- like how much, especially for this movie, what's crazy about how like some of the references and like the flavor of it is a little bit lagged behind 
as far as the elements that are like kind of adapted from Western culture, because this movie was kept from us for like a decade. They couldn't find a U.S. distributor because the uh, the Japanese the production company of the movie felt that the movie was too controversial and they wanted to they didn't want any lawsuits or anything. So they wouldn't allow this movie to be released in America for like 10 years. Well, fucking Columbine kind of fucked it up. <laughs> that's yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I would say that's the major factor in why it became persona non grata in the industry for those little 10 years. Because right on the tail of it, I mean, Hunger Games came out and I curse this movie every chance I get. I fucking hate Suzanne Collins because she, she she literally got asked about this and, and said she had never heard of Battle Royale. Oh, bull, bullshit. bullshit. I want to transition. I want to transition so we can fucking fist fight. <laughs> but um, you look you look like a fucked up girl, dude. <laughs> Hey, you got the you got the long, pretty hair. You know, I got the hair for it. <laughs> but you're tall, bro. I can tell. I saw I saw your profile picture. You're tall. It would look yeah. It would look strange. It would be jarring to see a six three woman. Oh well, I'm gonna skip over this <laughs> a little bit. You don't have to skip over anything. This is agitator, baby. Say whatever you want to nah, say. I was I was about to get I was about to get agitated. Oh. Mm-hmm. Nah, but mm-hmm. but no, that's she she agitates the fuck out of me. Speaking of. Suzanne Collins is the fucking worthless plagiarist bitch that honestly, honestly, if I could pay JK Rowling to fist fight her. (laughs) (laughs) And we could just go train. I train her some jujitsu show. Which I was going to, I was going to relate that. I'm glad I brought up jujitsu. I was going to relate back to what we were talking about earlier. As far as the rite of passage, I think martial arts nowadays should be fucking taught in schools, bro. Because uh, once a kid get, get a kid gets hit in the face, realizes the power of getting hit in the face and doesn't hit people in the face. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, under controlled circumstances, kid at the house getting hit in the face by his fucking dad, he's gonna go to you know exert his powerlessness upon other kids. But um, martial arts, I think, will save the universe. <laughs> I think that's yeah. I think that's important. I think we there's also like a. You've seen a coinciding of the sort of sanitation of contact sports has also, if you look at it on like a straight trajectory, uh, you know, the timeline of like the increase of youth violence and the sanitization of sports with, you know, participation trophies all the way up to like trying to cancel football because it's too aggressive, whatever, like, you know. And I'm not saying that it's not, there's not fair criticisms as far yeah. as like physical health and, and you know, that, yeah, that kind of thing. But you can see that the dulling of that outlet has coincided with the rise in violence perpetuated by, you know, young people. 100%. 100%. I mean, it's contained, man. Like, uh, stupid example I like to use in the Crips and Bloods were football teams until they weren't. And yeah, when they went, that, no, go ahead. Got it. I was going to say when they, were, when they were football teams, the shit was a lot better in the streets. Yeah, because it, it would all branched off of a, um, uh, just a, a need exactly for that, right? Like an outlet because there were Crips and Bloods kind of traces back, the history of it kind of traces back to like black clubs that were invented by you know, black dudes who 
when America was segregated, they didn't have no place to go. So you had, uh, I, I can't like think of any names of them necessarily, but you know, you had these clubs that were started and then like generations passed down the Crips and Bloods came out of like that kind of idea of like, this is where men can come together, be dudes, you know. Wait, so are, are Crips and Bloods black Illuminati, black Freemasons? <laughs> More akin to black fraternities. Okay. All right. Before the, before the, well, yeah, they're like street fraternities. I wouldn't say they're Illuminati because they don't have any, uh, any real power, but there's a black like social power. Illuminati. Yeah. 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 <laughs> The boondocks, the boondocks exposed that black Illuminati. <laughs> Y'all ever watch that shit? Great, Y'all? great show. Great fucking show. Man. Oh, man. I, it was as influential to me as Battle Royale. But to circle it back, it was also something that my fucking teachers did not like me talking about. Because it was true. The boondocks, I think, is what everybody thinks The Simpsons is as far as predicting things. Mm-hmm. The boondocks really predicted everything that's happening now. Oh, my God. They had R. Kelly. They had, you know, Tyler Perry is gay. They had the even even like in a highly satirized, but like you can also see how metaphorically it's become a thing where like the sort of re-engineering of the MLK, like MLK as an archetype and like what he would, you know, and portraying those ideals or whatever, like. All, all that shit's happened since Boondocks. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier is uh, Battle Royale is in that genre of something that seemed outlandish, but ended up being fucking vaguely just on the nose 12, 15 years later. So let me jump in here. And uh, now that we're into the Battle Royale, we're into, we, we've established all the rules. Do we have uh, favorite characters or favorite scenes? Uh, I'm a Kazuo stand. Uh, want that man's babies, no homo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, just just a little. Well, a little homo. Mm-hmm. A little homo is but, fine. Uh, yeah, you don't no. want to go too hard into the homo, but you know, a little bit's okay. If if you're a honestly, I hate I hate the fact that you got it. You got it. One hundred percent. What? <laughs> if you're a hundred percent straight, you're a liar. That's it. Like. <laughs> You actually sounds, probably you actually probably hundred percent the other way. That sounds gay, but okay. <laughs> I I identify as super straight, my guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. But no, Me too. I was kind of upset that um the two characters that you're supposed to think are cool were the two characters I ended up thinking are the fucking coolest. You know what I'm saying? Shogo Kawada. The mm-hmm. character that's already survived the battle royale before and Kazuo Kiriyama just completely mm-hmm. steal every scene that they're in, acting wise. Yeah. They're they're totally. like it's fucking cool. They represent two archetypes of of uh masculinity that are like like Kazuo represents stoicness. Mm-hmm. He had a goal and he was like you said, a terminator. He was gonna keep going. And then Shogo represents protection you know, uh, like male type of protection, not necessarily nurturing, even though he did nurture, but like uh, doctor knowledge, you know what I'm saying? Knowledge of how to right. use a gun and protect somebody. My, like, my father is a blank, right? That's the, exactly. that's the joke with Kabada. Yeah, exactly. It, but he kept lying about it or was yeah. he lying? He said three things. He said his father was a doctor, a fisherman and something else. I can't remember what the other one was. 
Yeah. And it's like, those are the things you learn if you're in the military. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, I'd say Shogo Kawada, Kazuo Kiriyama, and uh, uh, Hiroki Sugimura. Mm-hmm. In the book, Hiroki Sugimura is really a lot closer to Shuya and Nobu than they play in the movie. Okay. He's like their third wheel. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And in Alice in Borderland, that show that I was, I was, I was telling you about, oh, Alice yeah. in Borderland, is a, they're basically a three-man friend squad. And the, the main character looks just like Shuya Nanahara with the long black hair. The, mm-hmm. His best friend is a nerdy dude, like Nobu, a short nerdy guy. And then the, the other best friend is an athletic, cool guy, gets the girls and plays sports like Hiroki Sugimura with me. So I, I was watching that and I immediately picked up on the parallels to the Battle Royale book. And they also wear collars that explode but don't take the head off. They just blow out the front of the neck. Mm-hmm. It's very similar. I want to talk more about this, uh, this figure in the movie, uh, the, the bad guy. What's his name again? I'm sorry. I'm really like for a Japanese podcast, I should know these things, but I don't. <laughs> so, so, so what's, what's the bad guy's name again? Kazuo Kiriyama. And that's, that's your guy, right? That's your, that's, that's your dude? Fucking guy. That's okay. my fucking guy. Okay. So what's interesting in the book, to him. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no. I was going to say in the book, he actually has like long slick back, uh, black hair and they, they re- reference it repeatedly. He went uh, super Saiyan for the movie. it's true so so there's like there's the terminator element to this guy where he's the 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 killer but there's also the jester element which is really interesting to me so there's this uh idea of the trickster or the jester or the joker or the hayoka right in native american terms but it's a person who uh, well, often it's not a person, but in this case, it's a person who engages in something to shake things up. And uh, this dude is just there purely off of his own volition. He just wants to do this thing. And you gave a good description of him from the book as missing a part of his brain. So he's he's doing all that. But in a in a weird way, it's it's more interesting in the movie when you don't know why he's there, why he volunteered to be there, because there has to be that element. The battle Royale is a, is a ritual that has all these rules and, and people are following the rules and whatever follows follows. But there's this character who's just there, who, who doesn't seem to care. Right. And the image of a grenade being put in a decapitated head really yeah. stuck with me. You know, the idea of a, a person who is there and who is disrupting all of these kind of things. And then one of the ways he kills somebody is by chopping off his head with a, a cool little knife and then stuffing a grenade in that head and throwing it Uh it really, it feels like a commentary on the, on like the mouth, right? He was having on, fun, man. He's having fun, you know, like he's, he's, he's a, he's the Joker. Kiriyama is like, he's, he's the Joker of this, of the show. Um, one thing about the book version, like you said, it, it's kind of, it's really cool that they don't go into the backstory in the movie because it makes him more of a figure that you don't want to identify with scary yeah in the book though it 
it, it's um it's connected to how bad the society is and the fact that this kid has perfect grades is perfect at everything but doesn't feel anything doesn't feel like life is worth living or or even Damn. like doesn't care because even though shit is so good he doesn't care because shit is so bad you know what i'm saying mm. like the society mm. it's repeatedly referenced to be like just fucked and so there's nothing to look forward to on the outside of even getting out of school and so it's played for it's played towards that more so in the in the book but in the movie it, him just being a chaos force mm-hmm. and it might have been intentional it might not have been but it actually it works just as well because where there's somebody that doesn't want to be there there's going to be somebody that does want to be there it's just the nature of humans where somebody won't be somebody will be and will be fucking enjoying themselves mm-hmm. you know there's parties where people go to with no fucking music bro they have you put on headphones and listen to fucking music what the I fuck went is to that? one of those it was gay. you know people yeah, enjoy it. i did not enjoy it <laughs> it was gay the one i went to did not it was not cool got zero pussy and so you know it's it's not good one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the uh in the lighthouse oh yeah so at a certain point uh shuya gets injured and he's he's being taken care of by i feel like kawasaki would know this uh Uh, nordico oh yeah 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 you're right He's being taken care of by her and he's being fed some stuff. And there is, it almost by felt her. like it's, it's almost, it feels like uh, a Quentin Tarantino scene, even though I know that Quentin Tarantino did Inglorious Bastards after this, but it feels like this self-contained scene of violence. So there's a, basically when the whole game started, Shuya rolls down a hill with a guy who's trying to kill him. And the guy ends up with a hatchet in his brain and dies. But Akamichi Cho. God damn, you are the best guest we've ever fucking... I'm not even kidding. You're the best guest we've had on this show because you know everything about this shit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm serious. Like We'll we'll bring people on the show that'll be like, I didn't watch the movie, but... And Kawasaki's <laughs> like, no, I know the fucking name of this guy. I know, I know, I know everything. That's amazing. So basically, the girlfriend uh, has a blood debt against Shuya because she watched him kill her BF, right? Um, and so when he's in this lighthouse being nursed back to health after, after being shot by the Terminator, um, she decides to put a little bit of poison in his food, but he doesn't eat the food. Some other girls come in and eat the food. And one of them vomits up blood and dies. And then all the girls kill each other. That is, to my mind, it's a beautiful self-contained short film right there. That's, (laughs) and you need the rest of the movie to get the context but if that was just the movie, I feel like that's one of the most beautiful things I've seen on film. It's so well executed. The way that the tension rises and everybody turns against each other immediately. Um, that to me is just perfect. Uh, it was just illustrating modern day feminism. That's all that was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. 100%. Bro, you're, you're right. When you're right, you're right. That's how, that's how quick girls turn on each other. Dudes would yeah. be like, hold on, let's try to figure this shit out. But girls, bro, 
give girls a little bit of power and i think it's because they're i think it's because their situational awareness is honestly higher than most men's and they realize that being the physically less dominant species that strategic advantage is the one thing you can always make sure you have and Mm -hmm. to where like attacking quickly you might be messy you might be wrong but you're going to ensure your own survival usually which mm-hmm. she was the only one since she was the only one that survived. I love the poetic beauty of that, that she made it out of that scene. She kills herself. She yeah, jumped off yeah. the top, but I do love that. She was the only one who survived. That felt so correct. She, she honestly just, acted perfectly in a battle royale scenario, not being physically dominant or having a weapon. She acted perfectly in, in time. As soon as she recognized the problem, whether she was right or wrong about it, she was going to get rid of the problem for everybody around her. Didn't work out that way, but Mm-mm. she ensured her own survival. Fuck her though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <fuck laughs> it's also uh, like the way it, you know, shines a light on so many aspects of humanity. Another thing that it does is um, it sort of raises the question, like who's got your back when the chips are down because to get anywhere in this game, you have to know who to trust and who's going to turn on you. And you can't, you can't always play it like that. You know, like I'm just, I'm going to look out for me. I'm not going to get caught slipping. It's like, well, what if you're the motherfucker with the, the pot lid? Like <laughs> what you going to do then? For real though. But um, I think I, I want to think she wasn't just doing it for herself. She was trying to protect everybody in the lighthouse from what she perceived, you know, men are bad because the whole deal was, and they went further into this in the book. Her whole deal was they didn't trust any of the boys, any men, like, which makes sense. A cl- fucking classroom full of young girls, all young boys are trying to do is just fuck them. And like, it makes sense that they wouldn't trust any of them. So she was trying to protect them, you know, the same way that Kawada was protecting shuya and them like she was looking out for the group fucking did it just shit just went left and you know kawada was looking out for the group and it happened to go right damn so they're like the girl bosses they really had their little shit running bro like yeah uh, (laughs) sugimura and the gang when they figured i don't want to i didn't want to go into this too early but when they started to try to hack the college and stuff like that they had their shit rolling but the girls were low-key actually comfortable. Let's get into that, though, because so the collar hacking, it was all for nothing, right? It, because Kazuo interrupted the party, yes. But I like to think that they were close mm-hmm. because they detailed the plan more in the book. And this is one thing I do like to criticize the movie on. It doesn't detail their plan enough. They had mm-hmm. a bomb that they were going to wire back to with some weird pulley system if i'm not mistaken they're gonna send a bomb back to the main headquarters and they got really close to doing it they actually had the ingredients for the bomb on that truck which kazuo fucking stared into as it exploded for some reason (laughs) Uh, but yeah they they it was all for nothing but only because they had their party popped their wedding does does kazuo get blinded in the book by the explosion yes yeah, he does. No crimson tears okay. though. That was that was a be- beautiful movie decision. 
So that's a, so there are a contingent of kids in the battle Royale who have decided to hack because they can take their own bag along with their gift bag. Uh, one guy's a hacker and he gets into it. So moving towards the end of the movie, I, I'm again, I'm so glad that we have you on the show because I got so confused at the end. Man, I'm glad what, to be here. <laughs> what, ha- what happened with the hacking? Okay, like, so Imamura, that's his name, right? I think I feel like Mim- I remember that, Mim- correct? Mimura. Mimura, okay, yeah. So Mimura, uh, he hacks it. It doesn't work out because Kazuo shows up and fucks everything up. But he's hacking everything to, you know, disable collars and... Uh, you know, kind of wipe the memory of the system that they have right now. And you think that he's doing all that, but then towards the end, Kitano suggests that it was Kawada who's doing all that. So what's, what's, what's up with that? Okay. So I was confused by this too. And I still am. Um, I thought he insinuated that he was himself controlling the fake hacks or whatever. Oh, okay, okay. Kitano? And, yes, Kitano. Okay. And that's because he, he realized Kawada's plan. And that he actually expected Kawada, which kind of is reflected in the ending, in the ending scene. Mm-hmm. He kind of expected something more than Kawada just winning because he also helped, you know, he was also invested in Noriko Nakagawa. And then when I, I'm assuming that when he saw them link up and start getting down to the final players, I'm assuming he already, you know, he was going to involve himself a little bit more than he had already done at this point. Right. And right. actually more, more than just up. giving her an umbrella, you know? Yeah. Well, like I mean, he was metaphorically giving her another umbrella. Yeah. Right. 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 Uh, but yeah, he, he decided to wrap it up as cleanly as he knew he could. And actually, I'd like to think his character arc turned and started to go back towards something fucking redeemable with that phone call. Oh, man. That's such a great scene, too, when he gets shot. So, like, Kitano... uh, Well, right before that, you know, uh, Kawada, knowing that, you know, the collars have microphones in them, he... It seems like he kills Shuya and Nariko. Um, but Kitano is already like kind of suspicious and he's like, he calls him up to the classroom and realizing like, you know, they have that conversation where like, he kind of is like, I know you hacked the system or whatever, all the confusing shit. And, um, they, but then in comes, uh, Shuya and Nariko still alive. They, uh, shoot, katano down and it's great because he whips out a water pistol like and fires back at them kind of mockingly or whatever and uh they well, got he, him he they were aiming guns at him and he whipped the gun out so that they shot him right like, right like death by cop type deal yeah yeah, yeah. Death and he by shot the water to student. show them that he yeah <laughs> i just love my favorite scene in the whole movie is how uh takeshi katano just stands up after he's been blasted. shot, like <laughs> so, so casually, and he like takes the phone call and then dies. <laughs> that to me is one of my favorite, literally favorite scenes in movies ever. He just like he just gets up. He's like, okay, let me. It's hilarious. 
It's yeah. kind of funny. Why I think why I think he purposely wrapped up the ending like he did, uh, and I think he was in control of it was because the way he aimed the pistol at him to make them shoot him is it's reminiscent of him. And, and then he shot the, the pistol that he had, which looked like a gun, but it had water in it. I don't think it was to mock them. I think it was to show them that he wasn't trying to hurt them in the first place. He was just trying to teach the kids. Damn. Oh. Yeah. That's a fucking crazy. Inter- I love that. That's a crazy interpretation. Cause in the beginning he was just trying to teach, man. He was like going out to the, he got cut. He didn't fucking go crazy on the kids or yell at anybody. He went out and started trying to wash his wounds. Like he wouldn't lick his wounds. He turned bad after that. And the movie really shows you that like, it kind of identifies you. He's a fucking freak, almost weird little kind of perverted dude. But like, mm-hmm. he, he was just a fucking teacher, man. I'd go well, kind of wild if a student cut my leg too. And his daughter hates him. His daughter's yeah. like, I can, I can smell your stinking breath over the phone. Yeah, his like, wife hates got, him he's, too. He's got nothing. He's got nothing. So nothing but the like, kids. Well, I guess I'll just do this. I'll teach this one. Man, is that a metaphor then? For He taught them a as, lesson. As a teacher, you can only t- teach like two kids out of a class of 42. That's funny. Okay. That's for real. That's funny as fuck. <laughs> He's just, yeah. He's just trying to reach. How do I reach these kids? Yeah. Turns out it's by it's by killing most of them. Dude, I had um and <laughs> go back real quick. My English, one of my English teachers, freshman year, not the English teacher that I gave the Battle Royale book to because I didn't want to do that to her because she was just the sweetest lady ever. But um she that wanted to dissect how lyrics can be looked into as far as poetic value. And like I'm a rapper now, I make music now. This is because I was a literary ass kid. I was always carrying a book most times in battle royale but i was always reading something um she used taylor swift's lyrics for love story uh, mm. you know a song i'm talking about romeo and juliet shit and she related it to yeah. romeo and juliet it was the most surface level shit i had ever fucking bro she was <laughs> a brilliant teacher so she you know I, I raised my hand we're talking about it as a class and i'm like you know honestly this this is low-key some BS. I mean, if you want to talk about lyrics and poetry, and then I brought up uh, Ronald Reagan's era by Kendrick Lamar. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm explaining the, the lyrics of that and rapping them, you know, avoiding cuss words and shit. And she 100% understood. And I had to stay after class and she was, you know, explaining to me that that was too, too advanced for most students and shit like that. And like, Whereas the rest of the girls were into it because it was an advanced English. It was mostly girls. The rest of the class was into it. You know, they were singing along to the Taylor Swift and loving it. But the only kids, I, like she said, the only kid she really reached that day was me because I fought against it and was trying to go deeper into it. And she was like, you really can only reach one or two kids every session. Like you just said, I was the only other time I've heard that in my life. You survived the battle royale. <laughs> <laughs> One hundred percent. Yeah, by killing the teacher, right? Like that—that's the metaphor at the end of the movie. Well, I would. Miss Bailey's awesome, man. Shout out, Miss no, Bailey. No, bro. Metaphorically, though. Metaphorically, though. Yeah, you like you like kill, kill, killed kill, her kill in a Buddhist way. You killed her in a Buddhist yeah, way. Yeah, We're like, yeah. yeah, you had to shut down that lesson, and in order to actually retain it. Yeah, like, let's go deeper. Let's really do this if we're going to really do this. Like, you can talk lyrics. I got some lyrics. 
Because I was a rap nerd, man. I was an like everything you, nerd. You yourself have lyrics too. Like the disease and the doctor. I was just I was playing that song that like over and over and over again. All the because it's got so much of this. It's an agitator song, basically. We ought to put it at the beginning of this episode because it's just using anime reference after anime reference to you in like a wordplay kind of way, but also to like by individually bar by bar, like sort of uh, have have these like, you know, metaphor, uh, philosophical, like, you know, um, sort of messages through these like short little anime referencing bars and i'd love to uh if y'all want to use a song for the intro i would love to give y'all my blessing on that but if y'all want me to make a song for the intro you know we can get up in the kitchen too oh shit you know what I'm how, how fast can you whip that up i can write i, I can fucking write a song in, in an hour bro it's uh it would just be like Whenever I could schedule a studio session, you know, we agree on a beat or we agree on everything. It, it wouldn't take more than a couple of days after that. So for this, me to lay everything down, I'm a professional. Even if yeah. I don't get paid. <laughs> this episode will drop on uh, this week. So. Fuck yeah. I can't fucking wait. I'm going to listen to it, even though I'm in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, the, 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 the rap shit. I'm not going to lie to you. It comes from a, I rap from the old school thought process of being competitive. Whereas it's like, I want to rap because I'm better than other people at rapping. And I fucking know it because I used to read a lot and I have a wealth of knowledge as far as words and syntax, meanings, philosophies, and I can connect things like that. That's why I like to do the anime thing. Cause it's not super done. It wasn't as when I started at least. And it can be done at a level that people haven't done it yet. Uh, I actually have a verse for y'all because that the disease in the doctor is cool, but I have some shit for y'all that's not out yet. And at the end of this podcast, I'll wrap a verse for y'all if y'all are down. Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. It's, it's yeah. really lyrical, but I don't want to cut too far away from Battle Royale. No, you're good. Uh, I want to go deeper into that with the idea of talent. It's something that Kelby and I talk about a lot on the show. And uh, when you said that you can just rap better than other people and you know it, that kind of struck a chord because I feel like we got, we've, we've, the, 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 the battling or the confrontational aspect of this whole thing, whether it's rap or, uh, you know, I recently got into, a fight on the internet. It was dumb. It's bullshit. But at the end of the day, my whole crusade is about like some people suck and some people are good. Yeah. And, and that, that can change, but that is a thing. It's a thing. Right. And I just, I've been driven crazy by people who are, promoting or encouraging things that are not good fucking stagnation yeah so it's kind of like you know i wish that writing had a similar thing i guess in the at the end of the day it's just you know you put out a book and that's kind of your dick on the table right just like this is this is what i do 
but writing doesn't quite have the immediacy of rap with that. Right. But, uh, right. but, but talent is important, right? I mean, it's, it's a, it's a thing. Some people are just good at, I'm, I'm not good at rapping. I'm not good at football. I'm not good at basketball, but I'm the best novelist that I know. But do you some, know why so, so, some people would pull away from that to be like, Oh, but you, but you can't, you can't say that. Yes, I can. Exactly. I'm, a, I'm objectively the best. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to venture out and say, I'm going to venture out and guess as to why you can say that you're the best is because you know how much you fucking practice. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The more you, I live by this. I really live by this. The more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in combat. Mm. And that's just anything. Phrase. Did your dad teach you that? He taught me that, but he didn't teach me that phrase. He taught me that in lifestyle. I yeah. uh, learned the phrase recently, and I'm actually going to start out a rap verse with it. I don't care how the fuck I have to work it in. That's just mm. a beautiful phrase to me. But um, I, I can attest to my talent at rap purely because I can attest to my non-talent at rap at a certain time. And how much I fucking literally just practice. I have fucking notebooks full of shit. I uh challenge myself to jump in the freestyle circle every day until mm -hmm. i didn't suck uh, mm -hmm. we my friends we'd get together and hang out every day and play basketball because i was on the basketball team and then after we graduated all this shit we still play basketball every day but now we're smoking and we're rapping every day mm -hmm. and i knew i wanted to make music so i got right. better at the freestyle even though nobody was listening and by the time you know i put out a couple of songs and people were listening it was like Hey, oh, this fucking music quality sucks, but yo, this kid rapping. You want to come to the studio and not get out of the bedroom? Yeah. When you're rapping, because I've been I've been trying to articulate this with writing, but when you're rapping, you get into a zone, right? Yeah, Where, rhythm. Yeah, it feels like something else. It feels like there's there's something else involved in that. I've been trying to describe this in writing forever, but when I sit down and actually write my novels or short stories or whatever, I'm in a zone and it's untouchable. It's, uh, I don't know, it feels like a river. It feels like I'm taking a bath in a river and things are flowing around me. Um, I wonder if and it's through, the same with rap and through through is a, that's a good word. Yeah. Through it, it's, it's exactly the same because where I come from as a rapper isn't where, where most rappers nowadays come from. I would like to think of it cause I'm a purist and I'm going to get made fun of for this. If the wrong crowd hears this as far as rap, but I don't give a fuck. Never has the purism of it becomes from, the same thing that you want to pick better words for your writing. You're reading more. You're getting, you're ingesting so that you can create better writings for yourself and for others. And in rap, I was literally reading more so that I could write better. Now you add on top of that, the fact that I have to rap out the writings, writing style is a little bit different. Yeah, but it's at heart the same thing. It's just, it's just, if you were to have to perform your books, that's what it would be like. You're perform your novels. Mm -hmm. If you had to read, mm -hmm. read your short stories out loud, people would judge you on your charisma. People would right. judge you on what you wrote. Yes. But also other things. It's, it's a, it's not necessarily a different beast. It's just, uh, it, it has a show showiness aspect to it. 
And that's where people get lost with wearing certain things and looking a certain way. Yeah, because performance is a it's a completely different thing. You know, well, it's not a completely different thing. It's a it's an element to the thing that we're talking about. You know, we're it's performing why, a, it's we're we're performing a conversation right now. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And it's why high level artists or high level authors start dressing weird. Go, you know what I mean? Go on. Go on. Image is it, uh, high level is a bad example. Certain certain times when people start trying to achieve that high level they'll start wearing weird things to try to create an image mm-hmm. you know and i feel like authors you know maybe like crackpot authors will lean further into it than they need to mm-hmm. you know what i mean but like stephen king has a look you know what i mean he has a, he, yeah it's a fucking stupid look but it's a look <laughs> <laughs> exactly though exactly like it could be a stupid look but that image kind of uh dictates how people yeah. get that first impression and with authors with how, books, how how deep are you into magic and the occult yeah i know i know a lot i don't practice anything because i'm fucking scared of it but you sure. know i have a creole background my mom is from louisiana and so i know All a little right. bit of that okay i know, right. know a little bit about like like just like government occult shit bohemian grove bullshit you know <laughs> <laughs> we even know that's not bullshit but you know like, the, the the mythology and history of the occult i'm kind of i like that type shit like learning about it don't like practicing it what we're talking about though is that it's it's magic it's the yeah because there's sacrifice it's the, time yeah it's the well oh this might be my favorite guest ever this dude just said sacrificing time. That's so important. And that's like, that's what sacrifice is what makes things sacred. It's the same word, right? Um, I love it. But the, the whole idea of presenting an image or performance or, you know, imposing the will, that's Thelema, that's Aleister Crowley. That's, you know, the whole yeah, idea of 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 putting yourself forward in this way where you say my will is the true will do what thou wilt do what thou wilt man high five me high five me boom dude dude just come on as a third mic dude why not just come on agitator as a third mic i'm so i'm so excited about this because you you get you get everything i'm talking about and uh, I get a lot of fluoride stares on this show. <laughs> <laughs> right, if y'all, if y'all call me, man, if y'all, I will answer, one hundred percent. I have a pretty good wealth of knowledge on a lot of different Japanese topics. Haven't seen as many movies as I want to, but that's just because I'm, I'm just now getting into film in general. That's watch- what the show would be good for. You watch all the movies. We just say, hey, check this shit out. One hundred percent. Boom. You're there. I'll do that all day long. Um, if y'all do an episode, because it's not Japanese, but if y'all do an episode about everything, everywhere, all at once, mm-hmm. I call dibs. Okay. All right. I haven't seen that yet. I saw it was uh it was on Amazon Prime. Bro, I love I love, I love I love Michelle Yo. She's one of my favorites. So I'm excited. At least only one that. of y'all has seen it. I ain't seen it yet. I've been waiting for it to be free. <laughs> <It's>, bro <laughs> when, 
when I say it's the best $20 I've spent in fucking 10 years, probably, it's been the best $20 I've spent since my first fucking goddamn sack of weed. It's, and it's, it's Chinese? It's a Chinese movie? I think it is Chinese. It's okay. incredible. Um, y'all know the synopsis of it, at least? Yeah, it's, it's like a multiverse thing. It's like, yeah, it's uh, a multiverse thing, but it's it's a family movie though. At the if I have to if I had to classify it, it's one of those gay feel good family. I fucking cried, bro. <laughs> dude, I dude, I love crying at shit. I cry all the time. So when I was watching Battle Royale, I watched it on a, a freebie, which is a Amazon's free service, but you have to watch ads. And uh, it was, by the way, it was dubbed, which sucked ass. Oh, God, yeah. The, I've seen the English dub version of this movie before. It's really... It, it's I watched cool. this shit dubbed, bro. It was fucking... <laughs> the, the, You're the, fucking movie, the movie was not trash, but the, but the dub was trash. Um, but there was a commercial that kept playing for S. I'm, actually, you know what? I'm not going to give them the promo, the free promo. No free promo on the show. <laughs> But it was a, uh, it was like one of these kind of uh, Phoenix. Uh, it, uh, what's the word? I'm, the University of Phoenix or something like it's oh, a right. one of those like uh, scam fake colleges, college. right? Yeah, it was a scam college, right? Like it's a, it's an oh, ad yeah. for a scam college. But bro, in the commercial, this Mexican dude, uh, he opens his diploma and he's like, "I did it! I graduated!" And I was just like, "God damn it!" Good for you, bro. You know, like I was, I was crying watching this Mexican <laughs> dude fucking graduate from the scam college. That's how. That's how easy I am. I'm just like, fuck. Uh, good job. You'll be you, crying. Bro. You'll be crying multiple times throughout this. Then, like, I'm a. I'm gonna give you the quickest rundown I can. Basically, so in the regular, in the regular universe that they're in, the movie starts out in <laughs> basically unhappy wife. Uh, she runs a laundromat with her husband. She has a daughter that's bisexual, but she kind of refuses to kind of go fully into accepting her daughter's bisexuality. She's scared mm-hmm. of it because because her dad is coming to from China basically to meet her and the family for the first time. Uh, and she doesn't want her dad to like meet the family for the first time and see that they have a bisexual daughter and consider them a failure because the granddad already disowned her for moving to America with the husband and mm-hmm. starting a laundromat family anyway. So the granddad basically disowned her. So she's unhappy in her life. And uh, in another universe, she's not. She creates multiverse technology and becomes a super scientist. And her daughter is really is smarter than her. And so she trains her daughter how to use the multiverse technology, but she overtrains her to the fo- point where her brain can't handle the multiverseness of it all. And her brain cracks. And it fractures between all of the multiverses at the same time. So that version of her daughter knows everything in every universe that her daughter is doing and by proxy that her mother is doing, et cetera. And she can access every multiverse in a whim, whereas they, they, everybody else has to try and have to do these specific techniques to try to access other multiverses. And they can do it, but it's difficult for them. And it's easy for the daughter. And the daughter hunts down the mother through all of the multiverses she hunts down the version of the mother smart enough to realize that she just needs a hug. Basically that's the synopsis. Yeah. It's fucking yeah. crazy. I feel like I, but, probably uh, right. Yeah. Probably dude, right. 
the husband is the true unhung, unsung hero of the story because he's the one that jumps back to the main universe and tells the um, Michelle Yo character that, yo, you do this. You really can do this. You are that bitch in this other timeline. Mm-hmm. And like, I need you to realize that so that you can save our asses. And long story short, basically, that's the synopsis. This is fucking one part that just had me bawling like a baby. In another timeline, the wife chooses to stay in China and not marry the husband and go to America. And she's accepted by her family and she becomes Michelle Yeoh, Michelle Yeoh. So they show oh, her from Super Rich Asian. damn. To like and they show her star. Yeah, they show her in all of her famous movies and she's a famous movie star like she is in real life. And uh, the husband ends up becoming a fucking mega CEO rich dude. And he sees her, she's having a, he sees her billboard for her movie and she's having a big ass party for the premiere. And he comes to the premiere, pulls strings as a CEO and just pops up. And he's like, you remember me from, um, you know, before when they were going to get married. And she was like, yeah, I, I remember you. Da, 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 da. Basically the Michelle Yo that multiverse jumps comes back to this timeline and it explains like she, they, they talk to each other and they explain it all of their successes in their lives and uh, while they're not together and how they, Mm. in this other life, they were together working this laundromat and doing taxes and hating their life. And CEO, the CEO version of the husband is like, you know what, in another life doing taxes and laundry with you being poor wouldn't be so fucking bad. And I fucking cried like a baby, bro. Yeah. I feel like that's dude, that's going to get me so bad. It's going to get me so bad. It's getting me oh, just here. Yeah, you're gonna love it, bro. Oh, that's gonna top yeah. five movies for me ever. Top five ever for Damn, me. Bro. Like, that's a big. Yeah. That's a big endorsement. Fuck. Well, uh, yeah, I'll go get that shit on Amazon Prime actually right now. No free promos. Everything no free everywhere promo. all at once. <laughs> Send me fifty dollars. I'll split it three ways. <laughs> uh, I'm a but, paid uh, shill. I'm an unpaid shill. So. Before we like wrapping up, I want to hear uh, final thoughts about Battle Royale, and I want to hear a little bit about the Crown, which I don't think we've heard much about. So, like, what's what's up with the Crown, and how much did this movie? I feel like I don't know how much did this movie affect you. I don't know Battle Royale. Okay, last thoughts on Battle Royale. I think it's, um, I think it's one of the most overlooked pieces of media in history. Yeah, and I think, um, I think, uh, it's one of the few movies I actually want to be remade because the nature of it, you can't, you can't wash that shit down. It has to be what it is. And also, like, there's things they could add to it. Like, if there were drone footage of people having to watch battle royale syndicated on television or something like that could actually add to the story in meaningful ways um i think it's been one of the very few stories that can be added to like that but i think that only happened was because the open-ended nature of some of the undiscussed things in that society allowed for it to be you know theorized itself you know i I think it it had an open-ended nature that allowed people to add things or take away things from it um I think it's an incredible movie. I think the book is is an incredible book. The manga is gruesome as 
fuck and does its job as a manga, but it it didn't even it was overlooked as a manga in my opinion. It affected me on like a visceral level. It didn't like make me not trust people around me, but it made me realize there's a thin line between society acting with sanity with sanity and what we're dealing with today. And the deadline has already been fucking breached by the time somebody fucking writing a book like that. Probably the characters in it, as far as storytelling goes, making a reader or a fucking video, like a video, a movie watcher care about that many different characters and their stories is fucking difficult. And they pulled that off pretty smooth without having it be four books long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really like how he pulled off a lot of things. It's, it's, I feel like a book that can be translated and still good is crazy, bro, because translations suck. I wish more people read it. I really do. I'm definitely going to check out the novel because, uh, yeah, I've made my way through a bit of the manga, seen the movie several times, but like this novel, I'm feeling like I really need to get into. At first, when we were talking about, you know, me coming on the podcast, I thought y'all had a physical location. I was about to come bearing gifts, bro. I was about to bring novels for everybody. Y'all oh, shit. my gifts. We got to we gotta make that happen one day. David's up in uh, Oklahoma. I'm south of Houston, so you're right in the middle. We got to make a, you know, a Dallas venture one day, do a yeah, live. I'm going to be in Dallas next week, so. We'll link up if you can. If we can, that would be really cool. It's my wife's birthday, and we have some spots in Dallas that we'd like to go to, uh, some karaoke bars, some Korean karaoke bars. Are you uh, talking about, uh, are you talking about in Carrollton, KTV? Uh, man. So we, we had a hotel and we like looked up Korean karaoke bars and we went to one that was like shady as fuck. And we had a great time. We sang for like three hours. Uh, but if we do that again, you should come out, bro. Bring your girl. Like we'll have a, we'll have a karaoke night. There's a, we've been meaning to go because there's a specific area. Uh, and then we call it little Korea, but that's probably. Yep. That's where we were. Correct. No, no, no. It's good. Oh, no, well, shit. Yeah. We go there all a, the time. That's exactly where we were. Yeah, I, I don't, I can't, I can't recall I'm the exact all streets, the time. dude. Okay, next old week, Denton, Old Denton Road. Yes, sir. Old Denton Road. Yep, that's it, dude. Oh, we're gonna yeah, hang no, out. We're, we're gonna be we're, we're gonna we're gonna drink soju. It's gonna be good. Shit, yeah, it's gonna be fun. Hopefully, I can get one of the Crown Boys out there. Yeah, dude, like come out, like Kelby, come come up next week. Why yeah, not? I'm trying to plot that. I'm like thinking about next one. <laughs> like, okay, so now because Erica and Rios, their birthdays are real close together. David and I both married uh, Hispanic Leo women. Yep. So, man, we ought to. I got to. I got to figure out how to make this happen too, dude. Next week, next weekend, we're gonna be up there. Uh, but but yeah, as dude. far as as far as battle royale, as far as wrapping it up, I, I really just if I could be anything. Or if I could be on anything that's trying to get the name out there or talking about it or still discussing it in relevant context to what's going on in today's society, I'll gladly fucking do that. I appreciate you guys for having me on and giving me the opportunity to fucking be nerdy in a spot where, you know, it's cool to do so. Really, You've been, really cool experience. I'm glad to hear that. You've been one of my favorite guests that we've had on. It's a, uh, you're going to be episode 53. So 53 guests and, uh, I found one who I, well, <laughs> I'm not talking shit about just, the other guests. Just shitting on everybody. <laughs> no, I'm not going to shit on the other guests. No, but Kawasaki, like, dude, you are uh, legitimate, man. Like, that's, that's uh, you know your shit, and you have some really uh, cogent, cool things to say, and 
I just, I appreciate your time, man. Well, when I say stupid shit, I look up at my fucking berserk poster and guts is looking down at me. Like you just say some stupid shit, bro. Kelby. He's one of us. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. You're, you're literally one of us, dude. Like, God damn. This is so cool. Well, we're here and we're queer, man. When I walk in the room, it's gonna pop like rice from the moon. We gon' slide like parts afternoon. Come for crowns and out of the truth. You know who it is? I'm coming straight up out this motherfucker. Kawasaki in here, now niggas gon' have to duck for cover. Oh, don't mind me, I'm just here watching two bad hoes fuck each other. If she whining, she won't be around me long, I'ma find another. I don't fuck around, you fuck around, I fuck around, find your mother. You won't peep a sound, I sneak around like I'm an undercover. Metal Gear, Solid Snake, I'm that nigga. Hate for eight, I pray for love, don't pray for cake. Money come and go, real ones gon' stay. If he die, he die, bitch, I'm Ivan. It's not a fair fight, I'm fly, I'm Eisen. This my piece of the pie and I'm biting. I'm hit like 99 Mike Tyson. That be my all red and bison. My niggas orcs, demons, lichens, animal hordes, beast titans. Ain't gonna be no DNA left when the night ends. Uh, no DNA, nigga.